It's Friday night, and you know what that means. It's time for another episode of the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Episode 60, October the 7th, 2022. Glad to have you aboard, as always. Segment one, news of the world. Our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen. We'll have more to say about Queen a little bit later on in this episode. But for now, we get into the current news in the world of rock and roll. And it seems like we're week in and week out talking about tour cancellations, tour postponements, even as we try to dig ourselves out of the era of COVID. We're still having problems and issues. Bringo Starr and his all-star band have had to put their tour on hold due to COVID. Again, I said we're not quite out of the woods with this yet. Getting there, getting close. Of course, Ringo's all-star band features Colin Hay from Men at Work. It's got members of Toto in there. And then we have Lindsey Buckingham had to cancel his overseas tour completely due to ongoing health issues. A little cryptic, a little vague, but, you know, there are rules about this stuff. HIPAA laws. Supposedly, the upcoming U.S. portion of this tour is still a go. So for you, Lindsey Buckingham, Fleetwood Mac fans out there, a little bit of a glimmer of hope, light at the end of the tunnel. Then, of course, we have the oh-so-tragic news about Rage Against the Machine. Yes, note sarcasm. Been doing this podcast now for over a year. If you guys haven't figured it out by now, I can't stand Rage Against the Machine. And there's going to be an ongoing theme throughout this episode of the Fortress of Rock. Not about Rage Against the Machine per se, but we're bringing the critics and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in. Of course, the idiot Jan Wenner had to open his trap this week and upset me beyond belief getting to that in a couple minutes but of course the overrated rage against the machine scheduled to go out on tour for the first time and i believe 20 years it had to be over a decade I don't know if it's 20 years, but it's got to be at least over a decade since they have toured. Zach DeLaRocca, they did a couple warm-up shows in Chicago back in July, I believe it was. You could tell he did something. He was jumping and hopping all around, and next thing you know, all he can do is sit on a speaker finishing the show up in Chicago. Well, it turns out he pretty much tore his Achilles. I believe in his own words, there's about 8% left of his Achilles. 
on his one foot, ankle, leg. So, guess it's not healing well enough. Now, being a sports fanatic, I know Achilles injuries take a long time to heal. So, in that respect, I get it. He's probably not going to be ready to rock and roll, ready to move about the stage until early 2023 at the soonest. And this is, of course, considering he's not a world-class athlete. Usually an Achilles injury takes almost a year for a football or basketball player to come back from. So I'm so, so, so sorry, all you Rage Against the Machine fans. You can't go out and see your overrated, politically hardcore band go out there and do their pathetic, ridiculous thing. Speaking of petty and ridiculous, it seems like in addition to negative tour news, we can't get away week in and week out from Roger Waters, the egotistical, moronic former leader of Pink Floyd, another vastly overrated band. But at least with Pink Floyd versus Rage Against the Machine, I can look at record sales. I can look at the influential aspect of their career. I can I cannot like a band. I cannot like a performer and still acknowledge their place in rock history, whether it's Pink Floyd, Eric Clapton, Neil Young. I can have my personal distaste for those artists, yet still acknowledge their place in rock history. I still haven't figured out how Rage Against the Machine fits in to the higher pantheon of rock and roll history. Yet somehow I keep getting told that by critics, sycophant fans, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Roger Waters, we've talked about it here over the last month or so, his ridiculous political comments talking about how basically Russia is right, Ukraine is wrong, the U.S. is the most evil country on the face of the earth. Basically, about 180 degrees away from what common sense and logic would tell you. Well, now he might have hosed the Pink Floyd catalog sale. Another topic we have brought up here over the last year or so on The Fortress is how all these bands, these artists, have been selling their music catalogs as they get older. We've talked about Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan. We've talked about Motley Crue. Well, it seems like there was a sale in the works for Pink Floyd's catalog. The price tag was floating around $500 million until Roger Waters opened his stupid yap. Now everything is on hold. Both sides are trying to say, well, no, there's other, there's tax issues involved. There's valuation issues. 
there there are financial things we have to work out. It doesn't have to do with with Roger being a complete and total idiot when it comes to politics and world views and war and which countries are on the right side and which countries are on the wrong side. Got nothing to do with Roger Waters. Right. <laughs> right. As he continues to talk and blather about things he is not an expert on, again, something else I've said on this show over and over again, movie stars, celebrities, fashion models, rock and roll performers, how many of them actually have degrees in political science, let alone master's degrees in poli-sci? Yet they act like they know everything about how world politics work, the intricacies of communism versus capitalism, democracy versus socialism. They know it all. They know everything about how the different forms of government are either good or bad, and we should listen to them as they stick needles in their arms and snort cocaine up their noses. Sorry, not all of them. That was a stereotype. But you know what I mean. I would say this is a lesson for celebrities and rock and rollers to learn from, but we've been down this road before. Bad behavior, stupid comments, they will damage and devalue the quote-unquote brand that has been established. Another band, another group of performers that we seem to be talking about a lot lately are my beloved surviving members of Van Halen. And of course, we talked last week about the second of the two Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts. Second one, of course, being in Los Angeles a few weeks back. And I just, I'm to the point now, and I feel I can, I can speak on this because I am a devoted Van Halen fanatic. You guys all know this. I just want them to all shut up. I just want them all to shut up. It's not going to happen. They can't get along. And Wolfgang Van Halen is not innocent in this whole thing. He has really started to upset me over the last couple weeks. I was fine with him saying, I've got my band now. I've got Mammoth WVH. I can't get along with these guys, the Van Halen camp, as he calls it. Even though the last time I checked, looking at his last name, he's part of that quote-unquote camp. Can't get along with them. But, oh, my God, the Foo Fighters. My interactions the last month or so with the Foo Fighters have been so wonderful and so beautiful. 
and they are just so great and they get along so well. And I just look at them and I wonder what happened with Van Halen? Why couldn't it be like that with Van Halen? And I'm not ripping on the Foo Fighters. It would break my heart if it ever came out that Dave Grohl did something nasty, mean, unlawful. Because I do think he is the best we've got in rock and roll right now. But I don't need Wolfgang Van Halen to tell me that, number one. And number two, I don't like the hypocritical nature of what he's done with swearing off Van Halen music, claiming his focus is on his band, and then he plays three Van Halen songs over the two Taylor Hawkins tribute shows now he says he has closure. Now he says he's okay. He doesn't have to worry about playing Van Halen anymore. And that makes me mad. Because if you want closure, you need to play the Van Halen tribute for Van Halen fans. It makes no sense to me how you ignore and shun the Van Halen fans but you sit there and act like playing this two-song set in England and the two-song set in L.A. for Foo Fighters fans, basically. I know it was, basic, it was rock fans in general. And again, not disparaging the shows. They were great. What I've seen of them, awesome, awesome rock and roll shows. Touching moments, great moments. But there's a disconnect with Wolfgang Van Halen saying he gets closure now from playing old Van Halen songs in front of a crowd that's not predominantly Van Halen fans. And I find it personally insulting. And I'm sure he doesn't care. He'll respond. He would respond to me or anybody else who throws out criticisms on this, just like he does to any other troll drops a couple F-bombs, acts blasé, acts like, you you don't influence me, I don't care about you, when he should. And I'm not talking about the kids in their mom's basements. I'm talking about people like you and me, the true Van Halen fans. He should care about us. He was in the band. There is a responsibility there. And then, of course, we got Sammy Hagar who has to chime in talking about the mythical Van Halen tribute shows that will never happen. I don't believe they'll ever happen. And I still think they should go out on tour and not just do a couple shows in Vegas or a show in Los Angeles, because then again, they are pandering to the rich and powerful fans, not the general fan do a tour, hit all the major cities so most people have a shot at seeing Wolfie, Sammy, Dave, Alex, Mikey, maybe Joe Satriani in there.
I don't think I'm overreaching. I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds by saying this. Sammy, of course, comes out and he says he wouldn't mind doing the tribute show, but again, he wants to do a residency in Vegas or a one-off show. But he dismisses the, the notion of having Joe Satriani come in and play the guitar parts. Because, of course, he was the one rumored to be involved in the initial discussions with Alex Van Halen. Bringing in Mikey, Michael Anthony. Bringing in back David Lee Roth. And then Joe Satriani would play the guitar parts. Now, of course, when Sammy gets involved and he's talking about, I'll sing half, Dave will sing half. When it comes up is is Mikey, Alex, Joe Satriani behind him, he goes, well, it just sounds to me like three quarters of chicken foot, so what's the point? You get Alex Van Halen instead of Chad Smith. But I really want to explore this idea. Oh, frustrating beyond belief. And we all know this has been going on since the early 80s with this band. And somehow it works. Somehow the dynamic has always worked through all the studio albums. Poor Gary Sharon always left out in the cold because of one, one album that most people shun, but I think is undervalued beyond belief. Again, I'm tired of this. It's worn me out as a Van Halen fan. Just let it go. Don't talk about it anymore. I don't want to hear Wolfgang talk about it anymore. I don't want to hear Sammy talk about it anymore. Of course, Alex doesn't talk about anything. Mikey, very smartly, has touched on it, but has pretty much remained out of the argument. Same with David Lee Roth. Let it go. And we'll talk more about Van Halen later on here. Just like with Queen, more coming up in future segments here tonight on The Fortress. Now, finally, if you thought that was a rant, I've got a a nuclear rant for you. Sorry. Sorry, Vladimir Putin. Didn't mean to bring up the nuclear option. My arch nemesis. The human being I hate more in the world of rock and roll than anybody else. Jan Wenner. He's got his grubby little hands in Rolling Stone magazine, grubby little hands in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, former rock and roll journalist. 
Cameron Crowe's movie, Almost Famous. An unofficial slice of life. Look at Jan Wenner on the road as a rock and roll scribe. I've never heard or read about somebody who who's supposedly a quote-unquote rock and roll genius who is so out of touch and so infuriating when it comes to his knowledge of rock and roll music, the history of rock and roll music, and its influence on fans like me and you. What's the latest, you might ask? What has he done now to upset the maestro? Now he has come out and said that while it's not his fault, because even though he co-founded the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he's not on the nominating committee. So, of course, he's got he's to distance himself from the train wreck he created. And I'm about done with this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame garbage. I'm about done with it. It's getting to the point to me like it's it's like an Academy Award. It's a joke. It's all politics. It's all BS. It doesn't matter in terms of somebody's career. At least we shouldn't look at it as being relevant towards how we rate and rank and feel about actors and actresses in movies and in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's case, the bands, the artists, the performers, the albums, and the songs. So good old Jan Winter has come out and said, well, you realize that Styx, Foreigner, Ario Speedwagon, Boston, we've never even considered them for nomination into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And again, he, he says, well, it's not my fault. I'm not on the nominating committee, and I grew up in that era. But, you know, then he makes it sound like he has disdain for this music that he claims he supposedly grew up with. He implies it. He doesn't come out and say it, but he implies it. And the fact that he would come out and say that those four bands in particular four bands that I think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a travesty, an absolute travesty that the pretenders, and I always single out the pretenders because it's a joke that the pretenders are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Sticks, Foreigner, Ario Speedwagon, and Boston can't even get on the ballot. This takes me back to what I said earlier about Rage Against the Machine, who are expected to somehow get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame within the next two to three years. You please explain to me how Rage Against the Machine is deserving of being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but Sticks, Foreigner, Ario Speedwagon, and Boston are not, and they can't even get consideration? You're telling me that's a true Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? When Dolly Parton gets in? When the Eurythmics get in ahead of those four bands? That's blasphemy to me. That is Rock and Roll blasphemy. 
I mean, it, it literally leaves me speechless when I hear this idiot who's considered one of the the pillars of the rock and roll community spout off. This is why when I look to somebody outside of performers in rock and roll, I look to Eddie Trunk. I respect Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk fought and fought and fought for Kiss to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And look how long it took for them to get in. It should have been a first ballot no-brainer. And I look at the clueless Jan Wenner and I just laugh with scorn and pity for the idiot. And in the course of this interview, Bon Jovi somehow gets brought up. And he said, well, look how long it took for Bon Jovi to get in. I could make the argument that still, Styx Foreigner, Ario Speedwagon in Boston should have been ahead of, of Bon Jovi. I would love to hear the arguments from his quote-unquote nominating committee as to what musical relevancy, critical appraisal puts Bon Jovi head and tails above Boston, Ario, Foreigner, and Styx. I would love to hear it. I would love to hear the rock snobs in that room explain to me their line of thinking. I would love it. I would love to be in with them. I would yell, scream, debate. They either bring a six-pack of Red Bull or a 12-pack of, of Natty Lights, and I would go to town on these idiots. It's like politics. That's the thing. We go to music and rock and roll and movies to get away from politics, yet the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Academy Awards, are no different than politics. It's who you know. It's whose butt you kiss. If there's a message in what you're doing, even if it's flawed and badly done or badly presented, you somehow get adulation and praise that you don't deserve. Now, I haven't listened to Eddie Trunk in a while. I'm just not... uh, My calendar's full. I don't have the time to listen to all these other podcasts as much as I would like to compare and contrast to what I do here on The Fortress. But I would hope, after him shepherding the cause for KISS valiantly, like he did, that maybe he's going to take on this mantle, this cause, after hearing the stupidity from Jan Wenner, maybe Sticks Forner, Ario Speedwagon in Boston, Maybe Eddie Trunk will get behind them now and push them. I know he also wants Iron Maiden in there. Nothing wrong with that. And, of course, that we talked about the travesty that was the 
the backdoor tribute that the Rock Hall of Fame gave Judas Priest. Again, couldn't vote them in normally, had to give them a special award in order to get them in the Rock Hall of Fame and get all the metalheads off their collective butts. I'm telling you, every time I see a shot of that triangular monstrosity on the shore of Lake Erie, and I've been there once, and I was moderately underwhelmed. I didn't think it was a true representation of what it really could have and should have been in terms of paying homage to the the music that we love. Didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. But now when I see shots of it here, 20 years roughly after I was there, the first, the only time, I just get a little sick to my stomach thinking about how pathetic Jan Wenner and his group of cronies are and how how much distaste they show for what they're supposedly supposed to love more than pretty much almost anything else on the face of the earth. They're hypocrites and they're jackasses. That being said, got to move on. Got some reviews for you coming up in segment two. Breakdown is next. Hang out for just a few minutes, kids, and I'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown where we are going to review all the new songs all the new albums all the new concert tours the shows that i've seen personally stay tuned for that of course we're now available on spotify anchor apple stitcher Castbox, google pocket cast and radio public wherever you listen to your favorite podcast hang out kids we'll be right back All right, kids, I've calmed down. I've had an adult beverage, settled my nerves. I mean, for me, in one 30-minute segment, they have to talk about Roger Waters, Rage Against the Machine, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Literally could put me on blood pressure medication is how much I can't stand dealing with with rock and roll entities like that. I just, I can't stand them. So let's move on to better things. Let's move on to some new music. And of course, you've obviously found me somewhere. But keep in mind that you have plenty of options in terms of platforms to find 
The Fortress of Rock, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Audible. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page. We always have some fun things going on. Just posted our latest weekend rock project. We're going to deal with colors for the next few weeks. So this week, we're looking for your best favorite rock songs featuring the colors red and green. And then, of course, this coming Sunday will be our new Music Sunday. We will post a new video from one of our favorite artists. Probably a song that we discuss here at some point on this episode of The Fortress. Feel free to leave comments. And of course, you will always be able to find a link to each and every Friday night's podcast on our Facebook page. All right, long awaited. Brand new album from Sammy Hagar and The Circle. Crazy Times has finally hit. It's been out for a week. I believe, if memory serves, I did my rant last week for you guys about the differences between the digital version and the CD version. So I will spare you that. But I will review the full digital version, 12 tracks versus the 10 on the CD. And of course, I will go, as always, track by track. Now, this is a concept album. Obviously, in many ways, about the passage of time. I think there's a little bit that has to do in there with greed and money. And if you couldn't figure it out, you'll find it out right away. The the short intro that leads Crazy Times is the beginning of the end. Again, if you're looking at the album, the CD, not the digital version, this makes perfect sense because of the track that ends the CD. It bookends this intro. I'm trying to be vague here. I don't want to jump ahead in my review. So just keep in mind the short intro, the beginning of the end, and what track 10 is going to end up being and how those two fit together. You can't can't really give the beginning of the end review. It's just a, a short, almost spoken word type of introduction to the album. I mean, it, he does sing it, but it's kind of like Motley Crue in the beginning before 
you get into Shout at the Devil. So this leads into track two, the first full song on Crazy Times, which is Slow Drain. This is kind of a slower, sludgier, hard rock song. In terms of the concept of the album, again, this is why I'm saying it's a loose concept album. This is not a strict concept album about growing old or the passage of time per se. There are a lot of insinuations about greed and the collapse of society. And that's what slow drain is. Now, the producer, Dave Cobb, that they brought in for this album has a background in country music, which immediately raised red flags for me. Now, my understanding is he told Sammy, do not play guitar on this album. Let Vic Johnson play guitar. You focus on the singing, the songwriting. And the other thing that Dave Cobb emphasized in the articles I've read leading up to the release of Crazy Times is that he tried to bring back the old Van Halen sound in many respects. And on about half the album, you can hear the old Van Halen harmonies where Michael Anthony sounds a lot stronger with the background vocals than he has in years. And that's obviously, obviously welcome. And of course, Slow Drain is one of those songs where you can hear Mikey at his best backing up Sammy Hagar in terms of vocals. Now, was Slow Drain a great song? Mm, it's a good song. It's a good song. Again, slower, sludgier, obviously kind of fits the musical stylings, fit the title, Slow Drain. Then you move into track three, Feed Your Head, where Vic Johnson shines on guitar. He has a great solo in this, but the song as a whole, again, Dave Cobb succeeds in bringing out the best in the background vocals with Michael Anthony. But the song itself is just still not, not top level. It's just like Slow Drain. Good, not great. Then track four, of course, is the Elvis Costello remake of Pump It Up, which is fine. I'll still take Elvis Costello's version. Then we get our first major misstep. Up to this point, the album is pretty good. Potential to be great. But then this is where I think Dave Cobb oversteps his bounds as a producer and decides to push his country influence on Sammy and the Circle. Be still is an awful song. 
I don't like it. It's it's a complaint I've had with a lot of these classic rock artists, a lot of these bands and performers who've been around 20, 30, 40 years. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to slow it down. Doesn't mean you have to lose the energy and the passion in the music that brought the fans to you in the first place. On a tangent here, read a review of the new Cult album, Under the Midnight Sun, which we'll get to here in a couple weeks on The Fortress. Read this on Ultimate Classic Rock. Fantastic website, of course. I cite them each and every week as a source. But they were talking about the new Cult album, and they said basically what I'm saying here about a song like Be Still. Now they were talking about the entire Cult album, saying it lacked energy. It was more of a proper, mature-sounding Cult. We want the Cult, and we want Sammy Hagar from back in the 80s and the 90s. We want the younger, more vibrant, more energetic versions. And when we're talking about an actual concert, of course they can't move around as well as they used to. Of course they can't jump into the stands and body surf. We talked about Everclear a couple weeks ago who I just saw in concert, and I compared and contrasted the Everclear in 2022 versus the Everclear I saw in the late 90s. Or, I mean, sorry, knock about 10 years up on that, the late 2000s, right before 2010, where Art Alexakis was able to run out into the crowd with a, a wireless electric guitar, run through the stands in a basketball arena in Orlando, Florida. He can't do that now. He's got MS. Plus, he's old. He's pretty much got to stand within 10 feet of the microphone at the front of the stage. That I understand. That I'm not knocking. But when you get in the studio, there's no reason you can't get your voice to the top level if you've taken care of it. There's no reason the guitars can't shred. I think that's the most frustrating part of the whole thing for me is, as a fan, you can forgive the live performances not being quite as energetic, but there's really no reason, no reason that the recorded music from the studio can't live up to what was done 20 or 30 years ago. Really, there's no reason. And that's why a song like Be Still is so frustrating. And I would love to be inside Sammy Hagar's head to know the creative process and know why he thought Be Still was just a great song and it needed to be on this album. Because it is the worst song on Crazy Times. 
And again, maybe a little bit of a country influence, and maybe I blame Dave Cobb for that. Then we shift gears and we get into track six, which is one of the greatest songs on Crazy Times, You Get What You Pay For. Now there's a little tiny bit of a country twang to the guitar hook in this. But it doesn't distract from the overall greatness of the song. And again, if the theme of Crazy Times is mortality and aging and the passage of time, you get what you pay for sounds more like the secondary theme that I mentioned, which is more about money, economics, greed, but still a fantastic song. Now, track seven is the title track, Crazy Times. We've reviewed this just like we did Pump It Up in past weeks. Crazy Times, I think, is one of the best songs of the year. I, I'm still looking at this right now as we're three quarters of the way through 2022 as one of the top songs of 2022. I'll leave it at that. Best song on the album. Go back in the archives and you can find my review of the song in more detail. And then same thing can be said for track eight, Funky Feng Shui. Just review that here on The Fortress a couple weeks ago, comparing it to the lockdown version. It's not a full song. It's not a complete song. It's a fragment of an idea of a song. And while it could have been a great song, and it's a great idea for a song, it's not fully fleshed out. So I don't know how I can say anything more positive about it than that. Song nine is Father Time, another slower song, not quite as egregiously bad as Be Still, but still not, not what we want to hear. And I know it's harder to make slower songs. Then why try? If it's not every rose has its thorn. If it's not even in that ballpark, why why even bother? Why even try? We want the rock and roll. We want the up-tempo stuff. And then finally, again, this is where we, we go back to track one. Track 10 on the CD, the physical version of Crazy Times, is Childhood's End, which of course ties into the intro, track one, the beginning of the end. Childhood's End is a mess of a song. And the more I listen to it, we, caught, we talked about Roger Waters in, in segment one and the Pink Floyd catalog sale. This is going to be a stretch, but I'm going to put it out there because about the fourth or fifth listen, I felt stronger about this viewpoint. Childhood's End almost sounds like Sammy Hagar trying to do Pink Floyd. Sullen, a downbeat, tempo shifts, vague lyrics menace on the horizon type 
lyrics. Now, I can understand this in terms of the theme of the album being the end track. But again, there are two extra songs on the digital version of Crazy Times, and we're going to go through those because I still think you could preserve the theme of the passage of time, aging, maturing, with what is put on this digital version and actually strengthen the album. Track 11, again, digital version only, is 2120. Next to Crazy Times, the song, and you get what you pay for, 2120 is one of the best songs on this album. It's an upbeat, not necessarily optimistic song, but it, it kind of, to me, harkens back to old Van Halen, Sammy era Van Halen. And eventually, I think, next to the title track, this will end up being my favorite song on Crazy Times. 2120 is just fantastic. Sammy Hagar and the Circle are in prime form here. Boggles my mind how this does not make the cut for the physical album. And again, the lyrics tied directly into this theme about time. And it's more optimistic than childhood's end. I think it would have been a better closing track to end the album on a more upbeat note. Not necess- I'm not saying it's, it's completely and totally 100% positive, but it's definitely more upbeat than childhood's end. Now, track 12 is an acoustic version of Father Time. Better version, much more muted, but it works better than track nine. What I would have done if I was producing this album, obviously I would have gotten rid of Be Still, but let's just assume I couldn't do that. I would have put the acoustic version of Father Time in track nine, thrown the other one out, gone with 11 tracks, closing with 2120. And I think that would have made Crazy Times so much better. And this is on top of the fact that I have a criticism about the album is short, very, very short. And I'm not expecting everybody to max out on what the 70 minutes you can put on a CD if you're an artist. But the 10-track CD version barely clocks in over 30 minutes. I believe it gets up to about 35 minutes. Now, when you tack on 2120 and the acoustic version of Father Time, you get more of a, what I would call a full album at close to 45 minutes. But again, my version... Put you right in the middle, about 40 minutes. Can I recommend Crazy Times? Barely. I, I give it the barest recommendation I can. Um, it's definitely not as good as the first album from Sammy Hagar and the Circle. I thought The Space Between was 
unbelievable. It was my favorite album of the year when it came out. I can tell you right now, Crazy Times is not even going to be close to being in contention for album of the year for 2022. Although the song Crazy Times and 2120 might be fighting it out for song of the year. Now, speaking of songs, got a couple singles to review here as we wrap up Breakdown. First up, New Godsmack. Haven't heard from the boys in Godsmack for about five years, if memory serves. I saw them on their last album tour. Very, very good show. First time I'd ever seen them. New song is called Surrender. Like crazy times, a lot of similarities here. Again, even though Godsmack is obviously a, a lot younger band relative, relatively to comparing them to Sammy Hagar and his cast and crew in The Circle, they still seem like they're starting to lose their edge too. When I listen to Surrender... I'm waiting for them to give it that extra kick going back to their first album when I, I fell in love with them. They're, they're raunchy. They weren't afraid to curse, swear, mad, angry lyrics, yelling, screaming. Not as extreme as the bands I don't like. We've talked about the, the five-finger death punches and disturbs of the world. Godsmack was always able to push it to that line and no further. And I felt like Surrender almost got there, but it just doesn't have the anger. It doesn't quite have the edge of the old classic Godsmack stuff. Now, about two-thirds of the way into the song, there's a nice little breakdown, a nice little change of tempo that I really, really liked. And of course, that's where I was hoping that they would really take off with Sully Erna's trademark growl and his anger. And now I know he's one of those rock stars out there who does the right thing. Of course, he has the, uh, the Scars Foundation, a very, very noble and worthwhile cause So maybe, maybe I'm not saying this in any kind of a negative way, but maybe that's rubbing off on him. Maybe he's trying to not be as angry as he gets older. He's toning it down. But again, on the flip side, that's where I kind of get a little bit upset with these aging rock stars losing their edge. Maybe it would be a little bit easier to take if we had some younger stars coming up that had the musical chops as well as the anger. So finally, we go to the Red Hot Chili Peppers here on Breakdown. Their tribute song to Eddie Van Halen called Eddie. Off their upcoming new album, 
I believe it comes out here in the next week or two. Um, of course, first single was Tip of My Tongue, which was okay. But this is another band where I think they've fallen into a rut. But of course, since it concerned Eddie Van Halen, I had to do a deep dive into this song. I have to admit, this I actually was pleased with. It's a nice melding, a nice combination of the Red Hot Chili Pepper style with some nods to Van Halen in terms of uh, John Frusconti's guitar work here as he's trying to He's not mimicking, he's not copying, he's not aping Eddie Van Halen, but he is trying to get close, as close as he can without becoming a cover guitarist, let's put it that way. And I admire him for that. I think he, he did a great job. I think he, he did a respectful job of bringing in the spirit of Eddie Van Halen's guitar without mimicking it and flea at the end actually i know he's got a very unique bass style and he is a great bass player but i almost could hear echoes of michael anthony so in, in that respect eddie really works well and of course the lyrics reference a lot of touchstones in eddie van halen's life the Whiskey A Go-Go, uh, the Rainbow Bar and Grill, David Lee Roth is mentioned at the end. If I have any criticism about the song, it's Anthony Kiedis's lyrics sometimes make no sense to me. And that doesn't go just for this Eddie Van Halen tribute song. It also goes for the Chili Pepper songs in general. And I, I was reading an article recently, and this isn't just about the Chili Peppers, but this could even go to bands that I, I truly love and admire, like the Cars, who have nonsensical lyrics. R.E.M., another band, nonsensical lyrics at times. And there's a certain style of songwriting, lyric writing, where the, the writers try to just make a bunch of cool words fit together into the rhythm of the song and they don't really care if they're coherent. And again, like I said, sometimes it works for me, the cars work, even though you can hear it. Rick Ocasek's lyrics are sometimes completely off the wall. And again, same thing for Michael Stipe in REM. And of course here with the chili peppers, um, the other two bands, I admire much more than I do the Chili Peppers, but that being said, I did like Eddie. I, I thought this was a very cool, respectful, interesting tribute to the great Eddie Van Halen. So check out the Chili Peppers. Check out Red Hot Chili Peppers, Eddie. That'll do it for Breakdown. Segment two is done. 
And of course, we have to go back in time in the rock and roll DeLorean. Next up is I want to go back, or look back at anniversaries and birthdays, rock and roll history. Got a lot of fun stuff to discuss here coming up, kids. Hang out through a quick promo, and I will be right back. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, kids, welcome back to the Fortress of Rock, episode 60, October the 7th, 2022. I'm your host, the maestro Kevin Crane. It's time to climb into the rock and roll DeLorean, go back in time, look back at some birthdays, some anniversaries in rock and roll history. And of course, this is always the time each and every Friday night where I acknowledge my sources for some of these ideas, especially the ones in News of the World and this segment. I want to go back, ultimateclassicrock.com, This Day in Music, and the Van Halen News Desk. We'll start off with anniversaries, and I know this will be blasphemous to a lot of old school rock and roll fans out there. Might even be considered blasphemous to... Grunge fans, fans of Kurt Cobain. But the past week, this first week of October, to me is always an awful week in rock and roll history. Now, I can't single out one event on one day. But what I can look at is in the first week of October in 2017 and in 2020, two of my all-time favorites in rock and roll died. And of course, you guys know my affection, my love for Eddie Van Halen. It's the two-year anniversary this week. Yesterday, October the 6th, 2020, is when Eddie Van Halen died succumbing to cancer. And I don't care what Rolling Stone says, I don't care what anybody says, Eddie Van Halen was the greatest guitar player of all time. It's one of the few times where I will not listen to opinions. I will shut down anybody who wants to argue with me. 99% of the time, I want to listen to the opposing viewpoint. I want to listen to what you, 
have got to say, what the rock snobs have got to say. Not on this. I can't. I can't on this. It's Eddie Van Halen. The greatest guitar player of all time died two years ago, October the 6th, 2020. And then going back five years on October the 2nd of 2017, we lost Tom Petty. I've got my friends. I, I know they mean well. I know they're trying to make light of a bad situation, but they always give me a hard time because they were able to see Tom Petty with the Heartbreakers in concert, and I never got to. It's one of the few performers I've never gotten to see live out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of concerts I've seen. Tom Petty somehow slipped through the cracks. But beyond that, I have all of Tom Petty's albums. I just thought he was a masterful performer, a masterful songwriter. He assembled a fantastic backing group behind him with the Heartbreakers, of course, Mike Campbell, Ben Montench. Of course, you had, for a time, Stan Lynch on drums. You had Howie Epstein on bass. You had Ron Blair on bass. I know there's a lot of people who think about that plane crash where what the big bopper and Richie Valens died. And that's, I believe, what Don McLean references in American Pie is the day the music died. When I think back to the first week of October, every year now, to me, it's the week that music died, just bad karma. When I think about the fact that Tom Petty died on October the 2nd in 2017 and Eddie Van Halen died October the 6th in 2020. Well, we go back to 1995. We'll now be on today, October the 7th. Jagged Little Pill from Alanis Morissette hit number one on the album charts in the U.S. I look at this, I, I guess I'm going to give this album an uh, insult and a compliment all at the same time. As I look at Jagged Little Pill almost as a bandwagon album. And she's not the only one to have one. She won't be the last. But certain albums start a wave, start a firestorm, start a craze. And you you can't help but get swept in. And I was one of those that got swept into Jagged Little Pill. 
Now, it didn't connect with me enough. Obviously, you can make the argument that this is an angry woman album. Since I'm a guy, I couldn't connect with it as deep as maybe others could. And after this album, I really didn't listen to Alanis Morissette anymore. But you, you can't argue against the fact that Jagged Little Pill was a touchstone album, a milestone when it was released. It, it did represent a female artist coming out railing against misogyny and past abuse. And I know there's other artists out there like Fiona Apple. My daughter loves Fiona Apple. Um, I really haven't found a connection with Fiona Apple where I could give her the time of day, but it did open a door for a particular subgenre of music that I still think is around today. So you have to give Alanis Morissette a ton of credit for what she did for female rock and roll at the time. And it was a significant shift. And again, maybe this is where I, I take my compliments away and start turning it into insults because I would say I miss Pat Benatar and Joan Jett and Debbie Harry at that time as opposed to the angry, screaming, yelling, defiant rage, sometimes placed where it should be, sometimes misplaced, of a singer like Alanis Morissette. Now, one final thing about this, if you noticed, she's having kind of a, a career resurgence now, and she's starting to pop up in various places, shows and specials and interviews and things like that because I think again this this is an an important moment in rock history that now people are starting to maybe give a little more credit to Now we go back to 1977 in the Rock and Roll DeLorean. October the 7th, 1977, two unbelievable classic singles were released. Now one, I will defend, is not getting enough credit. The other one we will know far and wide and recognize as one of the greatest singles of all time. Now, the one I've got to defend is the title track from Aerosmith's Draw the Line, released on this day in 1977 as a single. To me, this was the last great Aerosmith song until they got back together relatively kind of cleaned up and started the second act of their careers with permanent vacation and pump and had MTV videos 
just like maybe like a kiss is a very relevant comparison. Hit band from major rock band from the 70s, having to adjust through not only personal turmoil and personnel changes, but the changing music landscape with the advent of MTV. So Draw the Line to me was the last great song in Aerosmith's first act. And I still to this day think it's probably one of their top two or three songs. The dual guitars, the messy interplay of the dual guitars. Steven Tyler shifting and changing vocal styles, kind of like later on what you'd get with Axl Rose. Draw the line, the song doesn't get nearly enough credit as one of Aerosmith's greatest moments. And when I saw this, that this was the anniversary of the release of the single Draw the Line, I had to go back on Spotify and listen to it. And I was not disappointed. It's still, still to this day, has that fire, that energy, that raw, primal rock and roll energy that we look for in each and every song that we listen to. Now, the other song, the other single that was released on that day, October the 7th, 1977, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions from Queen. It's been overplayed. You want to argue with me on that? That's fine. It's been vastly overplayed, just like Bohemian Rhapsody has been. But nobody's going to dispute the fact that those two songs from Queen, or if you want to say, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, are two songs, then we say three. Some of the greatest songs ever recorded and ever released as singles. And is there anything better than when a band kind of puts those two songs together, packages them together, when radio actually has the guts to play them together? It boggles my mind to this day. Every once in a while, some stupid uh, programmer, I don't want to say DJ because I don't even know if we really have live DJs anymore, some programmer, some nerd working on a computer somewhere decides just to play We Are the Champions and doesn't put it together with We Will Rock You. It's bla it's blasphemy. I know I've used that word a lot in this episode, but how can you not package those two songs, play those those two songs together? It's rock and roll history. You don't get to change rock and roll history.
again, very, very rare that a band could pull that off, but Queen might have been the best at it in this instance with We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. All right, moving on to birthdays. October the 7th, 1968. Bringing back my negative theme of the day. Tom York of Radiohead, 54 years old today. Like Rage Against the Machine. Like Pink Floyd. I don't understand the mass appeal. Again, Pink Floyd, at least I can understand the historical impact. But just like Rage Against the Machine, I don't understand the obsession that critics and a little tiny, tiny, tiny core group of fans have with Radiohead. They are awful. They stink. Now, unlike my opinion about Eddie Van Halen being the greatest guitarist of all time, I'm still willing to listen to arguments for people to explain to me why, to point to specific albums, specific releases. I've tried to get into Radiohead, and they bore me to tears. They bore me beyond belief. Yet I keep hearing how they are the greatest rock band of the last 30 years. Oh my God, how did we ever get by without Tom York and Radiohead? In every side project Tom York does, all the critics slobber over and drool over. Oh, new Tom York. Oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. One of the most overrated performers in rock, one of the most overrated bands in rock. But hey, happy birthday, Tom York. Another guy I can't stand, but I cannot deny the impact he has had on music. October the 7th, 1959 was the birth of Simon Cowell. Yes, the man who spearheaded American Idol. Gave us pretty much Carrie Underwood, Doherty. Daughtry, sorry. I always get those two mixed up. I keep thinking of the keyboard player from Aria Speedwagon. Neil Daugherty. Have I ever really watched American Idol? No. Do I care about American Idol? No. Do I care about any of these competition shows? No. Again, this is one of the few times where I will give credit. You might as well mark this, record it, write it down. One of the few times I will give credit to the quote-unquote executives in the music business the scouts, the managers, the heads of the talent divisions. 
I trust them to go out and find the next big thing more than I do a televised talent competition. And I'm sure there's plenty of you out there who are indignant and who are saying, I'm completely wrong. Look at all these stars that have come from talent shows going all the way back to the, the age of black and white TV. I still don't like it. I still don't like it. I still would rather have a band that it's sweat and toiled and paid their dues on the Sunset Strip or in the bars on the Jersey Shore over some flash in the pan, some guy having a smoothie at the mall overheard, some girl behind the counter at the Panda Express singing a song and all of a sudden decided, wow, she can sing. Let's put her on the X Factor or America's Got Talent. So for better or for worse, however you feel, Simon Cowell's probably the figurehead for that, that type of thinking, that movement. The musical reality show competition, 63 years old today. We talked about Bon Jovi earlier, and I I know my, my feelings about Bon Jovi are getting increasingly negative over the years, especially seeing them in concert earlier this year, and they were abysmal, honestly, still to this day. I haven't changed my mind. I haven't softened my opinion. Worst concert, big concert I've ever seen in my life. Sound was abysmal. Set list was awful. And of course, we talked about all of the internal strife, especially over the last 10 to 15 years with Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, his longtime guitarist leaving. Now, his drummer, whose birthday we're celebrating today, October the 7th, 1953, is the birthday for Tico Torres. So happy birthday to Tico, 69 years old, drummer for Bon Jovi. Then finally, got to give a couple minutes on this one. Very significant birthday. October the 7th, 1951. He is 71 years old today. I've had mixed feelings about him over the past couple decades, but when I was growing up, he's Indiana's favorite son when it comes to rock and roll. John Cougar Mellencamp. Yes, I still put Cougar in there. Just got tickets to go see him in concert. His upcoming 2023 tour, he will be playing the final show of that tour in in South Bend, Indiana. He usually either starts his tour or ends his tour at the historic Morris in downtown South Bend. He's ending his tour this time around at the Morris. So I did get tickets for his final show 
on his 2023 tour in South Bend. So long ways down the road, kids. I think we're looking at mid-June, mid to late June of 2023. I'll have that review for you. But as I mentioned, John Cougar, Mellencamp, one of the most important musical artists for me in my formative years in the early 80s. I still look at his unbelievable run of early albums. Starting with the underrated Nothing Matters and What If It Did. Then, of course, going through American Fool and Uh-huh, Scarecrow, The Lonesome Jubilee, an incredible, incredible run of music where we watched John Mellencamp grow as an artist. And, of course, we've heard the stories, how the name Cougar was forced on him, and eventually how he was able to gain enough power to shed that moniker and eventually record just under the name John Mellencamp. And I'm sure I have complained plenty in the past year plus on this podcast about his musical direction over the past two or two and a half decades. how he's gotten so far away from the John Cougar Mellencamp that I grew up with. And he's almost bitter about that great run of albums that I mentioned. I think he's still proud of Scarecrow because we've talked about the fact the deluxe edition of Scarecrow, the reissue is coming out here soon. We'll talk a little bit about that in the last segment I still love the guy. I still admire all the great music he gave me growing up. Not so much a fan of the older John Mellencamp and the bitterness. And of course, now he's buddy-buddy with Bruce Springsteen. And now he just likes to play downbeat, listless music. And again, another theme we've had on this episode, going back to what we talked about with Sammy Hagar and Godsmack, the cult, and and John Mellencamp might be the worst of all of them, because I think he is doing this with premeditation, whereas I think Sammy and Godsmack They're still trying. It's just almost unconsciously that they've lost that edge. John Mellencamp is purposely ignoring his legacy and his past. He's not really going down new roads, breaking new ground in music. He's actually going so far back that, I hate to say it, but the fans of the style and type of music he's been putting out for the most part over the past 15 to 20 years are long dead and gone. As are the artists he is paying homage to. 
And in one sense, you can say, well, he's trying to expose that music and that style to new generations. And I agree with you on that. But then why don't we just go back and listen to the old artists who did it the first time around and probably, sorry, John, did it better. But again, happy birthday to the great John Cougar Mellencamp. And that'll do it for I Want to Go Back. Segment three is done. One more promo. Couple more minutes to talk about the albums, the songs, and the concerts we'll be reviewing here over the next month or two here on the Fortress. Hang out for just a few more minutes with me, kids, and I will be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs? What albums? What concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. All right, that's going to about do it here for episode 60 of The Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. October the 7th, 2022. Thanks, as always, for sharing a couple hours on your Friday night or whenever you end up listening to The Fortress. Wrap it up, as always, the final segment of the week where we look ahead to new music, new albums, and upcoming concerts that we're going to be reviewing over the next few months. Lots of new albums came out today, October the 7th, so we're going to have to do some prioritizing. Since we are going to see Queensryche later on this October in concert, next week's featured album review will be the new Queensryche album, Digital Noise Alliance. So unfortunately, that means we're probably going to have to push back Bush's new album, The Art of Survival, and the Colts' new album, Under the Midnight Sun, a week or two. And then we've got Alter Bridge and Skid Row coming up real fast, too. So we are going to be jam-packed. If we can, we'll try to double up on some of these album reviews. But I do like to make sure I listen to these albums plenty of times in order to give you a comprehensive review. So when we get going with more than one a week, I feel like I might end up giving one or both or all the albums 
short shrift, so I don't like to do that. So for sure next week, Queensryche, Digital Noise Alliance. In terms of concerts, just mentioned Queensryche opening for Judas Priest. That will be coming up towards the end of October. Next week on the Fortress of Rock, I will have my review of Roger Klein and the Peacemakers live in Indianapolis at the Hi-Fi. And again, I know I've mentioned this recently, but if you have not listened to Roger Klein and the Peacemakers or his former band, The Refreshments, a lot of you know the one song, Banditos from The Refreshments, but The Refreshments put out two of the greatest albums, in my opinion, of the last 40 years. And Roger Klein and the Peacemakers have definitely got a bunch of albums out there that are worth listening to. He is one of the greatest lyricists you will ever find. Very witty, very sly, very funny. Great sense of humor, great in concert. Looking forward to giving you that review. This will be the third time I've seen him in concert. Roger Klein and the Peacemakers next week on the Fortress of Rock. Tons of new songs to talk about next week. We'll have to pick and choose which ones to review. Now, I mentioned we've got the new Skid Row album coming up here really soon. So their third single, Time Bomb, is out. Hopefully we'll have that next week. If not, I might just hold off until the album comes out. Just give you a full review of the album. Same can be said for the fourth single from Alter Bridge. This is War. Again, Pawns and Kings coming out here very, very soon. If I do not review This is War as a single, I will definitely cover it when I review the new album. Definitely looking at the new Smashing Pumpkin song, Beguiled, for next week. The first of many songs, one a week, they're going to be releasing all through the winter, leading up to this massive project. Again, it's it's spelled oddly, but it's supposedly pronounced like autumn. So my apologies to Billy Corgan if I'm mispronouncing the name of his project, but Beguiled will definitely be reviewed next week. Along with the second single from Nickelback's upcoming album, Get Rollin'. This one's more of a wistful photograph type song called Those Days. We mentioned, of course, John Cougar Mellencamp and his birthday the re-release or the expanded edition release or the reissue, whatever you want to call it, of Scarecrow. One of the greatest albums of all time. Got some bonus songs on it. Got some acoustic versions. Got some cover tunes. One of the unreleased tracks. Carolina Shag. We'll take a listen to that. 
have a review for you here in the next few weeks on the fortress. And then let's leave you on a high note. The raunchy, decadent, somewhat of an 80s tribute band, somewhat of a brilliant original riff on 80s music with all of the the trademark decadence, the sex, especially the sex, and the drugs and the rock and roll. Steel Panther is back. Of course, we try to keep things clean for the kids here on the Fortress. New single is called Never Too Late. I cannot tell you what the subtitle is of the song because that would violate my rules here on the Fortress for keeping things clean. Do not listen to the new Steel Panther song, Never Too Late, in the company of your kids or probably even your wife. It looks like a brand new Steel Panther album is coming in February of 2023. The album is called On the Prowl. When I have more information on it, I will let you know there is a chance not confirmed saw steel panther live last year looks like it might happen again this year targeting late november for this area steel panther will be coming around we'll make an effort to try to see them once that's confirmed and we have that on the slate for our concert reviews i will let you know What better way to wrap up the Fortress of Rock than with some Steel Panther news? Right, kids? Offset all that negativity from the first few segments. See, there's no pressure there. We all know Steel Panther will not ever, ever, ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we can just enjoy them for what they are. And to hell with John Winter. To hell with Rolling Stone. To hell with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We know who the great bands are. We know who the great performers are. If I was a rich man, if I had Jeff Bezos money or Elon Musk money, I would open up my own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To battle. Jan Winter and his cast of idiots. I mean, look at look at how much money these rich people are spending on baseball cards and jerseys and ridiculous pieces of movie memorabilia. The altruist in me says that money should be going to help the homeless to help feed people, put money or put money into food banks, to put food on the shelves at those food banks. But hey, if they don't want to do it and I end up getting rich, 
then my passion project to waste money on would be an alternate Fortress of Rock Hall of Fame where I will let in first and foremost after Van Halen, including Gary Sharon, Boom Confetti. I will put in Sticks, Foreigner, Ario Speedwagon, and Boston. And I will take all of their memorabilia, display it carefully and proudly for all of you to see at a much, much cheaper rate than what they charge for you to get into that stupid glass triangle on the shores of Lake Erie. Going to miss you for the week. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope you get through the work week next week. Just remember that I will be here to get you through. Look at me as the light at the end of the tunnel next Friday night. Grab a couple beers. As I mentioned, we'll talk about Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, Queensryche, Nickelback, Smashing Pumpkins, and then, of course, whatever comes up news-wise in the world of rock and roll. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. See ya.